Felicia Gaddis, and welcome to ICTHOS. In this podcast, I will speak with artists, educators, thinkers, and ordinary people about how we define sacred in the 21st century. As a believer in Christ, I believe it is more important now than ever before to understand how our faith is evolving, but also to understand and find common ground with individuals of other faiths, as well as those who don't believe at all, in order to renegotiate our social contract for this new millennia. If you are at all familiar with the Christian scene, then you've probably heard about progressive Christianity. The term progressive has been used by modern evangelicals as well as churches and mainline Christian denominations. But what does it really mean? Is progressive Christianity the political left's answer to the conservatives' moral majority? To answer this question and others, I had a chat with Jim Burklow, Senior Associate Dean of Religious Life at the University of Southern California. Professor Burklow is one of the founders of the Progressive Christian Movement and has been involved with ProgressiveChristianity.org for over 20 years. One of the reasons I got interested in Progressive Christianity is because I was part of a church here in Los Angeles that considered itself Progressive Christian. And I come from a Roman Catholic background. I left Roman Catholicism, went to the charismatic crew <laughs> and um, did street ministry for a number of years oh. you know, leading people to Christ on the street yeah, and praying wow, for people yeah. and doing that kind of thing and I helped wow. my mom start a church wow. which is one of the reasons I write the blog because I began to realize that the culture was very different from my experience of the word and I love the word I really love that I don't care so much for the culture there's a lot of we think involved in the culture. And you better think what we think, because <laughs> if you don't, it's a problem. And I don't. Also, there was a lot of tension with the fact that I come from Roman Catholicism. For a lot of people, Christianity, there were the apostles, and then there's Martin Luther, <laughs> and there's nothing in between. Yeah, that's right. And that's that's not you good. Got, you nailed it. That's the problem out there. Yeah. Evangelical fundamental land. Yeah. Wiped out 1,500 years of history. Yeah. And the thing is, what they're doing is not new. It happened in the first century. It's happened in the evil times. It's, but if you know church history, you know that. Right. But if you don't know it, you think you've got this right. new thing going. And if you look back, you can also see some of the pitfalls that happened, right. either politically or theologically, yeah. and hopefully you can miss some of them <laughs> and not let go of the things that are really good. So with me, with Ichthos, I'm looking back to see what we lost, to see what we need to pick back up so that we can be relevant right in the right. 21st century. Right Absolutely. Now, at my progressive Christian church, sure. um, that just seemed to be a lot more political for me mm, than, spir than yeah. spiritual. Yeah. It, it wasn't creedal. Right. Um, didn't believe that Jesus was God. Didn't believe in the virgin birth. <laughs> and that Catholic in me just said, no, 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 no. We, we need to start on some place for common ground. You know, I, I, I believe in doing unto others as you would have them do unto them. To you, sure. Which is the foundation for the social gospel, but we also need some other kind of connection as well. 
And my question to you is, how can you have a movement with such a vast array of beliefs? I mean, I have no problem with the term progressive. I just have a problem with the term Christian. So can you speak to that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, definitely I can. You know, I I would just start out by saying, as you know, from paying attention to the history of Christianity, Mm -hmm. that Christianity is very, very big. Mm -hmm. It has many, many branches. Mm -hmm. It's complex. It's not a simple thing. And um, I would just say, generally, progressive Christianity kind of gets that. We we get it that, um, that the church is not one monolithic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all following Jesus one way or another, mm-hmm. different ways. Uh, but there, So there's a common uh, source material, if you will. There's mm-hmm. a common scripture. There's a common culture, ultimately, uh, a shared history. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of branches and versions within that. So we start there. So we have a pluralistic attitude about our own religion. There are multiple ways to be Christian. Mm-hmm. Now that separates us right there from evangelicals and fundamentalists who say that their way is the only way. That's why they refer to themselves as just Christians. Mm-hmm. Just Christian. <laughs> Which is just their way of saying, my way is the only way to be Christian. Right. They call themselves non-denominational because they don't think the church has branches. They think there's just them. They are Jesus' church, and somehow 2,000 years of history never happened, and, you know, they're it, and everybody else is, you know, wrong at best and evil at worst. Yeah, I've had a couple of conversations with people I work with, well, were you Catholic or were you Christian? Well, there you are. I mean, (laughs) I hear that all the time here. It's like, have you heard the Apostles' Creed? It's like, did you bump your head? You know, it's like, yeah, this is... Yeah, Catholics are Christians. Hello. Yeah, you know, so yeah. That, that's a that's an eye opener for yeah. evangelical folks. Uh, so there's just a you know I would say a pretty deep misunderstanding of Christian tradition mm-hmm. that dominates religious discourse in America today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the evangelicals have been very good at marketing themselves as as Christianity. Period. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's why everybody's quitting. Yeah. I agree. Because they think that's the only thing on offer. Mm-hmm. They don't know that there's another way to do it. Right. So they just quit because, you know, it doesn't make any sense to them anymore. So then they walk. They don't know that there's somewhere else to walk to within this huge tent called Christianity. True. So our movement is about changing that. It's about saying there's multiple ways to be Christian. We honor and respect those multiple ways. Our churches are going to teach a version of Christianity. Our branch, we're going to teach that. But if you're, if you identify with another branch and you want to hang out with us, you're welcome. We're not going to send you away or tell you you're wrong. Okay. Uh, part of being progressive is that we welcome you and we embrace diversity within our ranks. Mm-hmm. So we're serious about that. Okay. I would say some of our churches are more serious about it than others. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got a few churches out there in our movement that. You know, get uptight and don't treat people well with a different point of view, and that's embarrassing for our cause because that's not what we're about. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, and, and the progressive Christianity.org, which I've been part of for 22 years, um, 
has been serious about that from day one and uh, about making, you know, we're about radical welcome. And we're, we, we are, you know, that's part of what, what it means to be who we are, part of our identity. Okay. I was reading, um, this is just on Wikipedia, um, it said that progressive Christianity was kind of an answer to postmodernism. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure, in the sense that, um, that you know, it's one answer mm-hmm. to postmodernism. And, and so, and one aspect of postmodernism is pluralism. Okay. Right? Now, evangelicals, will call, they have a different term for what we call pluralism. They call it relativism. Mm. Oh, you guys think anything goes, whatever people think is cool, you make up your own reality, you have your own you know, Right. Thing. What you think is cool, what you think is cool. No, that's not where we're at at all. Hmm. Pluralism is different than that. Okay. So what, Can what, you explain that a little bit? Yes. Uh, what, so I would say, you know, I would... I'm following a rubric put out by Diana Eck, professor at Harvard, religion professor there, who studies uh, religious diversity in the United States. And she says you might break it down three ways. You've got exclusivism, Mm -hmm. which is fundamentalism, and a lot of evangelicals are part of that, um, which says our way or the highway, you know, our way is the only way. Everybody else is, like I say, wrong at best and evil at worst. Mm-hmm. Our religion is the only true religion. Right. We don't even want to have anything to do with other religions mm-hmm. or other versions of Christianity. Either, right. Because there aren't any, because they're wrong. Number two is inclusivism, and that's the idea that um, our way is the right way, but other ways might have something to teach us. Okay. So that would be the Catholic Church. Right. Which, so it says... Um, the Catholic Church has the only true faith, but we respect other religions, we can learn from them, we can cooperate with them, we may have a lot in common with them, da 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 da. That's a new one. I've always said the Catholic Church doesn't play well with others. <laughs> well, it plays a hell lot better with others than, than it used than, to. Than, uh, Jerry Walt Falwell Jr. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's Billy, true. You know, Billy Graham Jr. You know? Yeah. Franklin Graham, rather. I mean, yeah, the Catholic Church, night and day, I mean, it's they do care about other faiths. Yeah, they honor do. them and respect them. Pope is serious about that. Mm-hmm. So that that's great. So that's inclusivism. Mm-hmm. But it still is claiming that their way is the only true way. Right. Then there's pluralism, uh, as we understand it in our movement. Pluralism means other religions or even other versions of Christianity than ours may be as good for other people as our religion is for us. Maybe. That doesn't mean that they are. But they might be. <laughs> but you'll acknowledge the possibility. We acknowledge the possibility. Okay. And what we're saying is, um, in effect, it's like we're following um, a humble man named Jesus mm-hmm. who emptied himself, took the form of a servant, mm-hmm. did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right. Okay, so if we're serious about that, then it would be ridiculous for us to claim that our religion is the only to be so hubristic and proud and prideful to claim that our way is the only way. Right. So, who knows? You know, maybe Islam or parts of Islam are as good for Muslims as Christianity is for Christians. Who's for, you know, is it our place to decide that? No, you know, it might be worse some parts. Um, but, but it also might be as good, at least as good. So that's a pretty different point of view. 
about other faiths and other traditions than you will find in the majority version of Christianity in this country. Okay. Which the popular concept of what Christianity is is, is like poets. They think their way is the only way. So we have put that out there. We made that very crystal clear in ProgressiveChristianity.org and promoted that idea. Meanwhile, like I say, our, our terminology, uh, you know, about 20 years ago got co-opted, uh, 18 years ago, somewhere in there, by evangelical political progressives. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, more of them than there are of us, so... You know, so yeah, we were that. talking about the Sojourners movement. And yeah, Jim Wallace and people like that and others. So they still cling to the evangelical theology. Mm-hmm. They're uh, still in that world and that doctrine, although they're moving away from it rapidly. Uh, yeah. So so they used uh, there was a period where they called themselves progressive Christians, but then they got pushed back from other evangelical, they, they realized that that terminology mixed them up with people like me. <laughs> and they didn't want to be associated with us because right. we're theological progressives. That's something, and that's when things began to shift back in another direction. That's something that i found a lot, <laughs> that the branding has been really, really important. And sure it has. I, I find that really distressing. I see people getting behind a movement and not necessarily thinking about how individually they want to enact the teachings of Christ themselves. Well, uh, that if the leader right. of the movement is doing it, it must be all right. Well, I, I would say, you know, we're our effort mm-hmm. in our movement is to counter that problem. Okay. And by that, I mean, it's like if you go, you know, the, the best scenario, the whole hope for scenario, I would say, in our movement is. You go to a progressive church, you're going to hear you're gonna, the, the, what's going to be taught, mm-hmm. you know, what's going to be expressed. You know, everybody's going to say something, right? Mm-hmm. So what we're, we're going to teach a certain uh, perspective on, on the faith mm-hmm. that's based, I would say, generally what our version is about is experience as opposed to doctrine. Really? Absolutely. Okay. So it's not, you know, we don't teach doctrine so much as we teach practice. Okay. So the practice of contemplative prayer, the practice of compassion, kindness, and service, Mm -hmm. the practice of making changes in society, working together to get justice and peace. Practice. That's how we follow Jesus. So we teach that. That's, That's our message. Uh, we don't teach Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins uh, because it turns out that the Bible itself has multiple versions of interpretation of the cross. Hmm. That's only one of them. So we're not making an emphasis on that. We don't. We're we're definitely not about blood sacrifice and atonement. Blood sac, you know, blood atonement. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't teach that hardly in our churches. Okay. Um, now, again, that's not to say that somebody who believes in the blood atonement shouldn't be welcome in our churches. On the contrary, it's like, again, we're about heterodoxy. That now that's tricky because people aren't used to that. Yeah. They think, well, whatever's being taught, that's what you're expected to believe. Well, we're trying at least to not make that expectation. It's like this is what you'll hear here. But just because you don't think that way, 
doesn't mean you don't belong here because we're about heterodox. And uh, it's hard for people to get. Like, I'll give you an example. So mm-hmm. I was the pastor of a progressive church up in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And a really cool little church. And we had this one guy from Texas in the church who was just a neat guy, really smart, interesting man. Uh, but he was starting to go to the Buddhist Sangha. Mm-hmm. And one day he comes up and says, Jim, I just, you know, I love this place, but I just can't join. I can't be, I can't belong to this church. I go, well, what's up? I mean, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to have you be a member here. I mean, you're already here. What's the diff, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, Jim, I can't do it because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Buddhist. I decided I'm a Buddhist. And I look at him, I go, Mike, uh, um, have you become a Buddhist the way that a Texan would become a Christian? smiles and thinks about it for a minute and goes, hmm. It's says, because we're cool with you being a Buddhist here. You can be as Buddhist as you want. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, we don't care whether you're a Buddhist mm-hmm. or not. But if you want to join our church and be part of our community, you'd be treated like anybody else here, as you know. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. We don't care. I know, in there. You know, but, but it's just this ingrained... American Texan concept. It's yeah. like you got to be something. You got to be a Christian or a Buddhist. Right. If you're not any of them, you must be an atheist. You know, it's like, who says? You know, that's, hmm. no, that's not what's up. Okay. If you think of religion as fundamentally about practice, then the doctrinal part, kind of like, that that's not what that's not what matters as much. You know, it's interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. It's part of our tradition. Well, you can make use of the history and the stories, but doesn't doctrine inform action? It, it, it certainly can. Mm-hmm. But um, what I'm getting at is, if you uh, action can inform doctrine. Okay. Let's see. Uh, a good friend of mine was a was a Jesuit. He passed away a few years ago. He was an awesome guy, Jesuit priest, who spent 29 years in Japan mm-hmm. working as a Jesuit. And uh, there he uh, studied Zen, practiced Zen mm-hmm. for 29 years. And he came back to the U.S. and then set up a Zendo, a monastery of nuns, and that was where he went to learn Zen practice. Was from a Jesuit. Mm-hmm. So. I had him, I was working at Stanford at that point, I invited him to come to give a lecture at Stanford, and it was awesome. And he says, we Catholics have it upside down, you know, we, we teach CCD to all our kids, mm-hmm. you know, they all learn the doctrine, mm-hmm. and then maybe, possibly as adults, we give them a retreat where they... Or in know, high school, yeah. You know, at some point, we might give them an experience where they actually could experience God, you know, a practice, in other wow. words, the, the contemplative practice that results in a direct experience, mystical experience of God. Mm-hmm. And he says, we have it upside down. We need to teach our kids how to experience that. First, know God. Mm-hmm. Then, once you know God, that will make sense or nonsense of the doctrine. Interesting. you got to start with the experience. And that's, I, I think that, in a nutshell, is what our movement is about. Okay. Now, I would say a big problem in the, in the progressive Protestant churches generally is a universal problem, and that is that while we do acknowledge that there was 1,500 years of Christian history between Jesus and uh, Martin Luther, Luther, yeah, or Jesus and Jerry Falwell, <laughs> uh, more to the point, um, yeah. 
while we do acknowledge that, that doesn't mean we're in touch with it. Hmm. So, so, you know, I, I gave you an example. It's like a few months ago, I took a group of students on a, on a day-long uh, experience of contemplative prayer in the desert. I took them out to the middle of nowhere, up at Douglas Punch Bowl, and all sat in rock caverns, and just sat there and did these practices that the desert fathers and mothers did in the fourth or fifth century. That's cool. It was very cool. Yeah. And they were really into it. <laughs> and then, after, and they were all new to them, all brand new. Mm-hmm. And then I take them down down the hill. There's the Valiarmo uh, Abbey, Abbey of St. Andrew, Benedictines. So I take them down there, and they have an incredible bookstore. Mm-hmm. And the bookstore is um, this one bookcase that's just a, a collection of all the mystics. Mm-hmm. The whole thing, the... the Classics of Western Spirituality bookshelf. Anyway, big bookshelf. And I go, here, my friends, is the whole history of Christian mystical contemplative practice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, book after book. After. I go, here's, you know, Julia Norwich. Here's Hedevich of Antwerp. Here's, uh, you know, Margaret Porette. Here's uh, John of the Cross. Da, 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 da. I give them the whole list. Mm-hmm. And they just, they're just sitting there just going... <laughs> like really? Well, then now you really want to read them because you've had an experience. Well, because that's my point. And yeah. Once they had the experience, they go, "You mean this is Christianity?" <laughs> and I go, "Dude, yeah, yeah, this is big, mm-hmm. old. These people have been at it for a thousand, two thousand years. Yeah. You know, they might have something to share about the experience. You know, yeah. Oh. You don't have to reinvent the wheel." And, and and they're like just dumbstruck, you mm-hmm. know. But this is how it goes. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, I pastored Protestant church, you know, progressive Protestant churches my whole career, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm constantly introducing this stuff to these folks. But to them, it is still it's just all like, you know, I've exposed a lot of people to this material, mm-hmm. but they're all still beginners right. because nobody ever talked about it to them when they were kids. You know, they didn't get, they had no exposure to any of it. So, yeah, my, my yeah. when I was in grade school, because I went to Catholic school, yeah. uh, my one thing was, uh, there was a saying, I think it was a Haitian saying, he had the gift of bilocation. I was like, whoa, that is a date. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, my thing. Yeah, yeah. He could be in two places at once. That well, was yeah, so cool. I mean, it, goes, it goes on, you know. Yeah. It's like, uh, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, but, you know, some nun is walking past, he's taking confession from her, which really was mutual spiritual direction. Right. And, she walks past and looks in the room. They're both levitating. You know, so I mean, that's a mythological story. But the point is that they're, you know, these are enlightened people yeah. that have practiced. Yeah. So you know, my point being that, and, and still to this day, despite all of our efforts in this movement, our churches are full of people that are just at, at the very best, like maybe beginners mm-hmm. with spiritual discipline, spiritual practices mm-hmm. that the church is full of, you know, the richness of all that is all brand new to these guys. Wow. So that that's the pro- so that's the nut we gotta crack. Yeah. And uh, um, so we have a lot of work ahead of us, uh, but I think there's profound interest in in the mystical and spiritual tradition. Um, and um it's on all, all fronts. So what, what we're finding today 
uh, is that there's this whole world of evangelical Christians and fundamentalist Christians that are just done. Yeah. Baked. They just they cannot deal with the yeah. own story. They just can't deal with the politics of it. It has become so. I call it the cult of Christianity. It's cultic. Man. It's really yeah. cultic, and it's that's scary because that is not anything like it should be. Well, and that's that's where you know our our, our movement is about avoiding the cultishness. And the way we do that is be, by trying to be very serious about pluralism within our churches. Okay. Because um, if you have a bunch of people with different ideas in your church, then that's that's a pretty good inoculation from turning into a, into a cult. Sure. So, um, but that you know that's always that project. The, the, the risk of that is ever present. Right. Eternal vigilance is needed to avoid that outcome. Okay. Any I also wanted to talk to you about the political aspect right. of progressive Christianity. I was thinking, and my experience at the previous church was that it was to the Democratic Party what the Christian right was to the Republican Party. So can you speak to that? Um, I would say there's a big difference. Okay. And that is that um, the Democrat, the, the Republican Party is... Jerry Falwell Jr. and Franklin Graham and so on and so on. They are, you know what I'm saying? They're, yeah. They're indistinguishable now. And um, uh, that's just what they've decided to do and um, over a long period of time. And the consequence of that has been disastrous mm. for Christianity and for, for evangelical fundamentalist Christianity. For, for that movement, it's right. been disastrous. Right. So I, I would say that what we have on the left is pretty different and that they are not one. They're, yeah. They are, uh, you know, anybody who knows anything about the Democratic Party knows that it's full of, you know, the people who run the thing, you know, the, the, the people in the guts of it. Uh, are mostly not religious at all. That's true. And and they're very skeptical and nervous about religious people like me. Yeah, I know. They make them nervous. <laughs> they're like, oh, oh you know. Well, I kind of felt more like yeah. it was the Democratic Party invading Christianity in order to change it. No. 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 Okay. I mean, and, and, and in a way, it's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> By that, I mean, if, if uh, well, it, I, I, I'm only being. Um, silly about that, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is like, sure, you know, if we, if we were one, mm-hmm. if the Democratic Party had succeeded in invading progressive Christianity and occupying it, mm-hmm. uh, the Democratic Party would be, we'd be controlling both all three houses of Congress <laughs> or, or the, the federal government, right. you know, but, but no, and that's because of this deep suspicion. Mm. What it is is the Demo- you know the people around the Democratic Party are like everybody else. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, because in the '60s that was not the case. No, no, it was a lot different. Than- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What changed? Well, I, I would just say the in the '60s um, you still had uh, heterogeneity, heterogeneity of religion within politics. Okay. Period. Right. So the Democratic Party were uh, you know racists, right? And northern liberals. Right. So you had Southern Baptists and you had uh, northern congregationalists all in the same party 
mm -hmm. kind of working stuff out within the party. Same with the Republican Party. You, had, you know, there were fundamentalist Christians there all along, but mm -hmm. mostly they were more blue blood as a group. They were right. more the, the wealth class. Elitist. Northeast, dot, dot, dot. More elitist. You know, Episcopalian maybe even. Mm -hmm. um, and then what happened is you had the... Um, signing of the Civil Rights Act, mm. at which Lyndon Johnson, when he signed, he said, well, we just signed over the Republican Party to the South. Mm. We just signed the South off to the Republican Party, which is exactly what happened. Mm. So the Republican Party swooped in and said, we will be the party of the racists and the homophobes and the da-da-da. Right. Right. You know, they just saw their opportunity and they took it. Well, part of it was that the racists, you know, Strom Thurmond and company felt like the Democratic Party had, had, had you know, abandoned had, them. Uh, walked away from them. Right. So they were furious. They became Republicans. Mm -hmm. Funny thing. So when that happened, then you saw this shift of loyalties. And, uh, and then with the... Uh, abortion thing kicking in. Yeah, abortion was not an issue. You know, it didn't exist as an issue for anybody right. until uh, after Roe versus Wade. And then after, that was happening at the same time that this political split was happening. And the, you know, the Southern conservatives were becoming Republicans. Mm -hmm. and, uh, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. and then all the sexual purity hang-up thing really got, was all part of that. Racial purity and sexual purity are one thing. Miscegenation. What totally organized the religious right was not abortion. It was miscegenation. Really? Bob that. Jones University, 1970-something, early 70s. And the government said, well, you can't get federal student aid here until you get rid of the rule that says that black students and white students can't date. Mm. That got them going. Wow. That moment was the turning point. Wow. When uh, fundamentalism aligned with Republicans had to fight. That's so sad. That it's, it's like they obviously didn't read the scripture that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither no. bond nor free. They read, they read different parts of the scripture. Yeah, they didn't get be that. subservient to your master. Yeah. And so on. And then they should have continued and read the other part. as it's coming back, receive him as a brother. <laughs> Just leave that part out. <laughs> well, is the, is the thing. It was like fundamentalists, evangelicals, they think that people like me are treating the, the Bible like a, you know, like a cafeteria line. Mm -hmm. I mean, cafeteria Christians, they call us. Mm -hmm. It's like, you've got to be kidding. When was the last sermon you heard? in the fundamentalist church about the last half of Psalm 137. Blessed are those who bash in the brains of the Babylonian children against the rocks. Yeah. What was the last sermon you heard of? Mm -hmm. Never. That's cafeteria Christianity too. Mm -hmm. So we're all on the cafeteria line. Hello. Mm -hmm. We're all picking and choosing from our tradition True. what we think matters. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're just picking and choosing different, different stuff, you yeah. know, and that's okay. That's all right. 
So anyway, but it was the Bob Jones decision that did it. And this miscegenation, sex between the races, sexual purity, that this sexual purity hit, hit trip is why we're all uptight about abortion and homosexuality. Well. It goes back to that. It's just, you know, the, the roots of it are in racism. Hmm. And, and the roots of it are deeper than that. It's like the whole history of our country. I don't know how much white blood do you have in you. How much black blood do I have in me? Well, according to Ancestry.com, I'm at least 13% British. Well, there you go. Yeah. And and, and the deep, deep, deep historical mistake of slavery, Mm -hmm. uh, part of that whole mess was the sexual part. It was. Because... Uh, if you own it, you males. can do what you want to it. Exactly. You know, you can go do your thing with these black slaves, mm-hmm. but then your slaves are part white now. Mm-hmm. But then um, you have to deny that and, and uh, in order to uh, justify any of it. Right. And so this denial and repression of one's sexual nature... It's schizophrenia. ...baked into Southern Baptist... Yeah. Into their brains, into their DNA, practically. You know? So it's like these folks just, they, they don't even get it why they're so hung up about gays. Yeah. They don't even get it that, you know, there's this straight line that goes back to slavery. Yeah. And uh, all of it, you know, the sexual purity hang up is because they're sexually impure. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. We all are, ultimately, and big yeah. freaking deal. You know, it's like, what's, welcome to it. You know? mm-hmm. But it's just, yeah, but the, the thing is that today, the kids are done. The battle is over. Hmm. The leaders don't get that. Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell Jr., et cetera, they don't, they don't get it mm-hmm. that they lost. They think they're winning. Hmm. They're completely lost in their brains right now. I have some real mixed feelings about that. And it's not because of, you know, yeah. feeling that they're bad people <coughs> or anything like that. I just understand, having worked in ministry and having been around a lot of people who have suffered sexual abuse, that a lot of the reasons that they are gay is because they were violated at an early age. Some of them. Some. And I would hate to think that a person chose an alternative lifestyle if the reason they chose it is because someone hurt them. You know, if it was, I mean, Ellen DeGeneres is a really good example of that. She was, her stepfather was horribly abusive, and she's a gay woman now. But who's to say that she would have been a gay woman had that not happened? And I think if we don't do something about that, especially the churches that don't acknowledge gay marriage or homosexuality as being okay, if you don't address the reason it, in many cases it started in the first place, you definitely have no right to come against them because this is an, can be an outcome yeah. of yeah. extreme yeah. In, injury, the most personal yeah. injury you can have. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very distressing to see that. And I have a lot of empathy. I've also had some negative experience with that, with individuals thinking that they were had the right to turn you out. So there's another predatory aspect on that as well. 
and I have no tolerance for that. So it's it's really kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. nebulous. Oh, and I think in the, in the black community, I, I hear this a lot about. Yeah, there's, this, there's a, a very understandable fear. Yeah, that promoting the gay agenda somehow is about genocide against them. You know, getting yeah, black, you know, it's uh, it's men. eugenics, right? But turning black men gay then just is a way of getting rid of the black people. And especially, you know, I, I it that. tends to be the more educated and the more creative people who are actually capable of building a society. <laughs> the game that they don't care about because he can't do anything, you know? He's always going to be taking orders from somebody because this is a, a person who has if their career at it, who has obviously shown some real anti-societal tendencies. But the individuals who are more um, creative and intelligent and orderly they get them quick. And I've seen it in school. I taught school in Chicago. I've seen guys, especially if they were of smaller frame, the bigger guys, the, the aggression toward them. And this was in on the west side of Chicago, one of the worst areas of the city. And it's like, how is that little boy going to grow up to become a well-adjusted man if he's not as hard as all the thugs out there? He doesn't stand a chance. And yet the church, the black church, or, you know, the Southern Baptists, they're not doing anything about that. Right. And for that reason, I have absolutely just no. Right. So that, 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 it's a complicated mess. But, you know, yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you know, we we know that, that being gay is part of the normal spectrum of the, the sexuality. It just is. The science is crystal clear about this. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the argument's over. The battle's over. Mm-hmm. So now, and kids get that. And evangelical kids get that, but their leaders are doubling down. So, for instance, here on our campus, we have InterVarsity, mm-hmm. big organization, all over the campuses all over the country. And the kids in InterVarsity, they know that you know they're they believe in gay marriage and they think gay people are normal and that gay sex is fine. They don't even, you know, most of these kids are done. Mm-hmm. But the people who run InterVarsity. Are religious right um, mm-hmm. culture workers. Okay. So they've doubled down on their staff and told their staff, you can't support gay marriage or else you're out. Mm. So here are these staff people who have to like be on the DL about this. Mm-hmm. Act like you know, act like they're gay friendly when they can't be, but not say anything gay friendly or they'll be fired. Right. So they're they're just trapped. Wow. Know, and this and this is ever this is all over the country. This is it's it's a, a bomb going off in yeah. evangelical land, and it's, and it's that one issue is killing, killing. Mm. And so these kids are just they're quitting, they're leaving. And and then it's like, where are they going to go? You know, you go to first congregation, and you go to that place, and there's a culture there. Yeah. Now that culture is very different than mega church culture. Different song, nope, you know, where are the praise songs, you know? Yeah. Where's the waving your arms up in the air? Where's all that Where's stuff? the testifying? Where's the testifying? Where's all the, you yeah. know, rah, rah, you yeah. know, rah, yeah. rah, Jesus? Where's all that stuff? Yeah. You know, and it's not there. Right. This is a different culture, and so these kids will show up at a place like that, and they go, oh, we like the theology, we like the LGBT thing, we're all for that, but, you know, not my jam, you know? So right. This is what we're up against, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, it's, uh, an interesting time in our movement because you know I, 
I go out, you know, I do a lot of speaking and preaching, and I'm trying to like, hello, everybody, let's get our act together and be ready to receive these folks, and that means that we have to change what we do. Yeah. We have to sing differently, and we have to do worship differently, and we have to get ready to make some adjustments in order to be able to welcome a, pop- a huge population that's going into exile from something they can't stand anymore. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, it's a really interesting time. I was just going to say that. I I feel that. I feel that it's a very interesting time and, to some degree, an exciting time. Very, very. Because what happens now will be pivotal for the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I think that the the place where we meet with these youngsters Mm -hmm. and others coming out of the evangelical community is that... um, that a lot of them are are waking up mm-hmm. to the idea that, that our religion should be about practice more than dogma. And, mm-hmm. You know, you gotta take this and do that. You know, take these thoughts and believe this stuff. They're they're uh, they're over that too. Mm-hmm. But now what? Uh, so I think there is a uh, a new um, a newfound interest in mm-hmm. spiritual practices. Contemplative practices among ex evangelicals, mm-hmm. as well as longtime progressive people. Mm-hmm. So that's where we come together. So um, that, I'm very interested in that. So I wrote a book about this called Mindful Christianity, which mm-hmm. is about just that. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. here's pra- here are practices. You know, do this, try this out. Cool. And uh, this is all from our tradition. Christianity. Okay. Or oil. Oil has been there. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of went the other route. I went, I took a Kabbalah class. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And I really felt drawn to it. Yeah. I had been passing LA Kabbalah Center for a long time. And I just went in one day. I had some extra time. I was waiting on a bus. I went in. I looked at a book. It was called Kabbalah for the Layman. Yeah. It was Rabbi Berg's thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was written by Ralph Burke, and I started reading it, and I was like, wow. And then I looked at some of the things in it, and I started thinking about some of the blog posts that I had written. And it's like, I'm already kind of doing this. So I went back and I took a class. And for me, I see in, in, in the Zohar especially in one of the first articles of the Zohar. I see Jesus all in I see yeah. how he must have practiced as, you know, a, a, a Jew of that era. Yes, he is Christ. I'm not denying any of that, but I'm saying this yeah. is the this yeah. is the Judaism he came into. Right. And this is how he would have experienced it. And it really deepened my faith in him to be able to do that. And then also the whole issues of, of um, meditation, choose meditate. And the charismatic yeah. end, they tell you absolutely don't do that. You can't do that. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> it's a form of prayer. Jesus did it. He did it. So why can't we? Yeah. What's the animo- What's the fear about? Why are you afraid? Thank you. Amen. Because no, without investigation, people don't grow. So I'm I'm liking what I hear from you. Yeah. With regard to progressive Christianity, I still have a few holdouts, <laughs> but um, 
Well, you know, my what I, my urging on you is to explore. I think I will. You know, because there are a will. lot of different, you know, different kinds of congregations, right. uh, movement, and yeah. uh, different flavors of this. And, and, yeah. Because uh, my my contention, <coughs> my problem with what I experienced in the previous church, was that there was a real strong animosity toward the charismatic experience. It's like, well, they're just very uneducated. And I understand that you don't have to have degrees to be to shout. It's not necessary to be spirit-filled. It isn't necessary. But it's wrong to deny the experience. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not... It's not Christ-like, <laughs> you know? So I'm glad to see that that is not the only... Oh, no, no. it's much much richer than that. Yeah. There's, there's a whole universe out there okay. to check out, congregations, and, you know, speakers, writers, to recommend that are in this fold, but uh, do it differently. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for your time. You're so welcome. I'm going to give you a present. This is Felicia Gaddis, and I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Reverend Jim Burklow. Join me for the next episode of Ichthos, where I will continue to investigate progressive Christianity with Father Mark Kowalewski, Dean and Rector at St. John's Episcopal Cathedral in Los Angeles, California, and Professor David Alberson, Associate Professor of Religion and Director of Graduate Studies at the University of Southern California School of Religion.